going to have a look at Leviticus 13 and 14, which is all about the, the laws about leprosy. And I must admit, I used to read those chapters and think, hey, all of this again. And uh, <clears throat> at first sight, it can seem totally irrelevant to us today in the 21st century. But reading through it, I, suddenly the whole thing became clear to me, that the whole thing opens up as a, a very wonderful uh, <clears throat> explanation of how we should deal with, with sin, with human sin. And also, reading through the later Old Testament and the New Testament, I was amazed how many times there are allusions back to the language here about the cleansing from, uh, from leprosy. And so this is a, a significant part of God's revelation to us. And I know at first glance it might appear uh, very hard going to, as it were, get anything out of, uh, of these chapters. But uh, I hope that you all, by the end of this session, agree with me that the whole thing opens up really quite wonderfully. Now, first thing I want to clarify is that when we read of leprosy here, this is really not a good translation. The modern English versions talk about a, a skin disease. And it's not what is called Hansen's disease today, that is uh, classic leprosy as we know leprosy today. This is something really quite different. Uh, for example, when we read in Exodus 4 that Moses put his hand in, in his breast and took it out again and it was leprous white as snow, there is the idea then that leprosy is something to do with, with whiteness of the skin. Well, if you've met lepers today, you will see that uh, leprosy is not white. And it talks about, for example, how this leprosy can get into the fabric of garments, how it can get into, the, into a wall, for example, the stones of a house. Well, that's not leprosy, as in Hansen's disease that, uh, that we know today. It also talks about leprosy affecting the scalp. Well, leprosy today doesn't uh, affect the scalp. Um, it's quite clear here that the leprosy that's being spoken about is, is some form of, of fungal infection. That's why there's all the, uh, all the commandments to make sure that it doesn't spread. Well, leprosy, as in Hansen's disease today, is a bacterial infection. It's not a fungal uh, infection. The other thing that is quite clear when we go on in chapter 14 to read about how you could be cleansed of leprosy uh, is that there was a moral component to this. When they were cleansed, they had to offer sin offering, uh, guilt offering, etc. Well, it can't be that we are guilty for being human. That if someone is a leper today, it's very often not their fault. You can't say that it's a sin to be alive. And unfortunately, these chapters have been misread, I, I think, by some, to, to kind of prove that, that we're sinful just standing here as we are, that the lump of flesh that, that makes up our, our body is somehow sinful of itself. Now, that is not what the Bible teaches. We know that the Lord Jesus had our nature, and therefore, whatever we say or postulate about human nature, we say about the Lord. And... He was sinless. He was wholly harmless and undefiled. So, therefore, it cannot be, it cannot be that it's simply a sin to get certain types of diseases. And disease is not the same as, as sin, and that needs to be emphasized. The other thing I noticed looking at leprosy in the Bible <clears throat> is that people are smitten with leprosy by God as a punishment for sin as a punishment for sin. And that needs to, to be given its due weight. And in fact, the word that's translated here, the Hebrew words that are translated plague of leprosy, you got it there in chapter 13, verse 3, the plague of leprosy. Whenever these phrases occur, the, the, the Hebrew words are, occur, it's talking about, it's translated things like a sore or a blotch or something like that, that was given by God as a punishment. And later on in, uh, in chapter 13, verse 18, we're told that one way that leprosy could start was from a boil that turned leprous. Well, boils, Deuteronomy 28, verse 27, 35, boils are a punishment from God. So then, I don't think that we're dealing here with, uh, with the leprosy that, that we know today. I would suggest that leprosy in the Old Testament, was a punishment from God. Some disease that maybe we can't completely define today. But it was a, a, a result of sin, and it was a punishment that, that God gave, but there was a way of cleansing. And 
the fact that the, the leper could be cleansed and come back into the camp certainly uh, indicates that. The other thing that uh, stands out reading through Leviticus 13 and 14 is the number of times we read about the priest. The structure of, of the, uh, the literature, if you like, on a literary level is emphasizing this. The priest, the priest, the priest must come. The priest must look. The priest must make a decision. And it's talking about cases in which somebody might appear to be leprous, but actually they weren't. And in other cases, the priest would look and do a certain uh, observation and test and say, yes, this is leprosy, the person is unclean. Now, why is emphasis upon the priest? I think it was because in the eyes of the average Israelite, it could seem that, hey, he, he's, got, uh, like he's got some zitzo, he's got some, uh, he, he's scalded himself, he's got a mark on his, on his skin, I reckon he's a leper, I reckon he's got leprosy, let's keep away from him. And the emphasis is, no, the average Israelite could not make that decision. It was the priest alone who could make that decision. And we know that the priest in the Old Testament was a type, was a symbol of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we are all here sinners. We are all, as it were, affected by sin to some degree or another. But the question is, how are we going to handle that? And is it more than skin deep? We have a, a terrible tendency as human beings to judge in the sense of condemning our brethren. And we all have that tendency. And here we have a, a very visual and graphic opportunity to, to see how that cannot be the case, that we cannot do that. We can judge righteous judgment. We, it's not that we're not invited to have an opinion. Sure, we have to have an opinion. But we cannot judge in the sense of condemning each other. Only the priest can do that. You remember the Lord again foresaw this terrible tendency in human nature when he gave the parable about the wheat and the tares and the weeds. And the, the servants, that's us, go running off to the, the manager, who is the God of Jesus, and say, should we go and, and pull out the, uh, the weeds from among, among the wheat? And he says, no. Let them both grow together until harvest, and then I, through my angels, I'll sort this out. No, you just, no, you can't do that, because you can't judge who is wheat and who is a weed. Now, despite this being quite clear, unfortunately, so many uh, groups of believers have, have founded and, and broken up, etc., and families have broken up exactly over this tendency that we have to say, that's him, he's a bad guy, he, he's a leper, he's this, he's that, chuck him out. This one is a weed, pull him up. But we can't do that. And all the way through, it's the priest who has to make that decision. And in the Hebrew particularly, it emphasizes that it was in his sight. He would look with his eyes upon a, someone who appeared to be leprous, and in his eyes, in his judgment, he would make the decision. So then, what a blessing this is, that we have a great high priest to whom we can go, uh, well, I say go, we can trust his judgment. We can trust his judgment. And the whole idea of having, as there are in some churches, a kind of a, a committee, a, a group of elders somewhere up the hierarchy who decide who's in and who's out and who's a leper and who isn't and who should be chucked outside the camp and who shouldn't. This is totally wrong and thank God that we don't have to have such a, such a situation. Thank God that we don't have to judge. I'm glad I don't have to judge, that's for sure, because I'd let them all in. Um, and it, it, it's a good thing that we, we don't have to do that and we can't do that. In thinking about this, that Jesus is the priest who can make this decision as to whether the leprosy is just an appearance of it or whether, in fact, it's spreading and uh, there's raw flesh involved and, and the person needs to be excluded, etc. In thinking about that, I, uh, I came to Isaiah 53 because I was aware that there is a strong rabbinic Jewish tradition that Messiah actually would be a leper. And that's based upon the fact that in Isaiah 53, we have a number of uh, words that are really relevant to, to leprosy. 
You know that Isaiah 53 is a very clear prophecy of the Lord Jesus and his death on the cross for, for our sins. Just, uh, just a few points uh, from there. Isaiah 53 verse 4. We did esteem him stricken. And this is this word for leprous. Uh, we esteemed him as a, uh, as a leper, smitten of God and afflicted. Another one, 53 verse 8, For the transgression of my people was he stricken. It's the, the same word, stricken. And in fact, Wycliffe's translation uh, makes this very clear when he, he says, For the transgression of my people was he leprous. And uh, another one is when we're told that um, he was one from whom we hid our faces. That's verse 3, uh, Isaiah 53, verse 3. We hid, as it were, our faces from him, or it could be translated, he was one who hid his face from us. And that's very much going back to uh, the, the, the leper who had to say, unclean, unclean, and had to uh, hide his, his face and put this covering upon his, his upper lip. So then, Jesus then is being associated with a leper, particularly at the time of his death. And this is really clinched, I think, beyond any argument in, in Hebrews 13, where a, a rather unusual phrase is used about the Lord Jesus. Uh, Hebrews 13, verse 13, talks about Jesus suffered Without the gate, verse 12, let us therefore go forth under him without the camp, bearing his reproach. So the writer emphasizes that the Lord Jesus died for us without the gate, without the camp, outside the camp of Israel. And let us go forth under him, therefore, without the camp, bearing his reproach. So then Jesus, it's emphasized, suffered outside the camp. The leper was to be put outside the camp and he had a, a reproach that he bore. Now, here you see a kind of paradox on a human level, that the Lord Jesus is the priest who can cleanse leprosy, the priest who can decide who's leprous and who isn't. But he does that on the basis of his own offering, of his own death. And yet, at that time, he was counted as a leper. So there is a priest, the priest, who was himself counted as a leper, knows how a leper feels, particularly in his time of dying, who through that is able to help and to save and to cleanse and to judge lepers. Now isn't that great? Because he therefore is being presented in this metaphor, which is what it is, you can't push it too exactly, but he's being presented as the one who can, as the leper, who can cleanse lepers. And I think that's why he goes out of his way to touch the lepers. When he heals them, I mean, he didn't have to touch them. He could say with his word, but he wanted to be identified with the lepers in his ministry. And in his death, he also was supremely, according to Isaiah 53, he was supremely counted as, as a leper, as smitten. With, with the stroke of the, the plague of leprosy. So then, that shows the complete identity of the Lord Jesus with us. We may feel that our sins have separated us from God, and that is of course true, but the Lord Jesus somehow knows how it feels to be a sinner because he was treated as a sinner. In the promise to David about Jesus, you know, God says to David, one day you'll have a son, a descendant, and he'll also be my son. And that's quoted in Luke 1 about Jesus. 2 Samuel 7 verse 14, if he sins, he will be punished with the stripes of men. And that word stripes is the same word translated plague here in chapters 13 and 14 of, Le of Leviticus. And it's normally used about the plague of leprosy. So then if he sins, I will uh, 
punish him with the, the plague of men. Now, Jesus did not sin. Let's emphasize that. But he's described as suffering with that same plague of leprosy of, of the children of man that, that you receive if you sin. So then, although Jesus did not sin, he knows how a sinner feels because he was treated in that way. And I think the extent of his identity with that is what led him to say, my God, why have you or how have you forsaken me? Because, all through the Old Testament, I will not forsake the righteous, I will forsake the wicked. And Jesus really felt that identified with us. So sin separates from, from us and God, that, between us and God, that, 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 is a, that is so. But the Lord Jesus, because of the wonderful way in which our redemption, the atonement, was structured and thought out, if you like, the wonderful way that it worked out, he knows how a sinner feels. That when you are struck in your conscience, uh, as you walk down the street, uh, and, and you recognize that I've done something wrong, that I should not have said that, I should not have done that, I should have not have written that. And we feel, in that moment, I must come to God. In that moment, Jesus is identified with you, and he knows our feelings. No wonder Hebrews can say that we have such a wonderful and sympathetic and even empathetic high priest. Now, you know the difference between sympathy and empathy. Sympathy is where you say, oh yeah, I feel sorry for you. Oh yeah, poor guy. But empathy is where you say, look, I know, I was there. I know how that feels. I experienced that myself. Now, Jesus is an empathetic high priest. So, we are all lepers. We have all sinned, and we are all struggling to, to manage our, our sinfulness, to manage our condition. And that is uh, brought out quite a few times by the, the allusions that are made to leprosy throughout the Bible. Particularly in Isaiah, a couple of uh, passages there uh, that, that allude back to chapter 13 of Leviticus 44 and 45, where... The, the, the leprous person is put outside the camp and he must cry unclean, unclean. He must have a covering on his upper lip. His clothes are considered to be uh, leprous. And that's alluded to Isaiah 6 verse 5. We all are men of unclean lips. Even Isaiah felt the same. We all are men of unclean lips. To, to the Hebrew mind, a man of an unclean lip was the man who had to cover his lip and cry, unclean, unclean. Isaiah 64, verse 6, we all are as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy garments. And this is straight on, Leviticus 13, verse 47, having talked about the leper crying, unclean, unclean, with a covered lip, we read it, that's in 45, in 47, the garment where the plague of leprosy is, has also uh, got to be destroyed. So then, that this is all of us. Every single one of us. And when we are covered in Christ, when we are redeemed in Christ, the ultimate aim is to cleanse us of, of leprosy. Ephesians 5 talks about that. Again, with very clear allusion back to the language of leprosy. Uh, Ephesians 5, 25 to 27 Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it, that he might sanctify it, having cleansed it by the washing of water with the word, that he might present the church to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. And I suggest that the whole language of cleansing there, the washing by the water, which represents the word, he, he says, um, so that we might be presented in the end without any spot or any blemish. These are the very things that we're reading about here in Leviticus, that if a guy has a spot appear, it starts to spread, or it looks like it's leprosy, that this is what leprosy was. So then, that finally will be when Jesus comes back. That is when, finally, we are presented 
to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any of these things. That means that we, at this moment, in this whole metaphor, in this whole image of leprosy, we are, as the, the people who have got this problem, this skin disease, and we are, at the moment, under observation. We've come to the priest, to the Lord Jesus, and he has looked upon us. <clears throat> and incidentally, it says so many times, like it does in 13 verse 5, the priest shall look on him. Uh, David quotes that so many times, just those few words, and says, Lord, look upon me. Look upon me. As if he's saying, yeah, I know that I've got this problem with sin, but look upon me. Now, if our relationship with God and with Jesus is for real, then we'll not be trying to, to hide this fact. Of course, the Israelite, I suspect, who had a bit of a skin disease, probably thought, oh yeah, better just cover that up so nobody sees it, otherwise I've got to go through all this rigmarole with the priest and they might chuck me out of the camp. And I'm sure plenty of people did that. It's rather like uh, the person in whose house there was supposedly leprosy, this uh, not Hansen's disease, but this disease that uh, Leviticus is talking about, he had to come to the priest and say, look, can you come and inspect my house? But I'm sure a lot of Israelites would have, uh, well, covered it over if they thought there was a bit of a problem in the house, because it says that if the priest said that, yes, that is a leprous house, it's got to be pulled down. And there's no compensation clause in all this that says, yeah, well, a house must be pulled down, but uh, the community will build a guy a new one. No, it doesn't say that. And of course, we, we can do the same. We, we can either try and cover over our sin and act to everybody else like, well, that blotch, well, I'll just uh, wear a long sleeve shirt over that one so you don't see it. Um, I'll grow, grow my beard, if you're a guy, over, over that blotch that came up on my cheek. Um, I, won't, uh, uh, I won't tell anybody that my, my stones in my house are looking a bit funny. I'll plaster over them. I'll, uh, I'll put some... Uh, I'll put some wood over it, I'll, I'll hang a picture over that, or, you know, all those smart things you can do to cover up the defects in your, in your house. Um, that's what we're tempted to do. But when David keeps saying in the Psalms, look upon me, look upon me, oh God, look upon me, search me, look upon me, I think that he's alluding to this language of, of the priest looking upon the leper. Because he's saying, well, you know everything, and you look at me, and, and see what my problem is, and analyze me. Now, it's that openness between us and God which should be really crucial and fundamental to our, our daily lives. Now, <clears throat> we, as I say, have got to accept that we have got leprosy. In Hebrews 13, verse 13, that we looked, we looked at, we're told that Jesus suffered outside the, the camp. He was put outside the camp, and that's where he suffered. And we are to go forth unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. In other words, we are to say, yes, I am a leper. I won't be chucked out of the camp. I will go outside the camp to him, the leper who was also the priest, who was treated as a leper when he died, that he might cleanse me. We are to recognize that we also should go outside the camp. That that's what we, we deserve. And that we should bear his reproach, the reproach of, of, of the leper. Now, let's go through them, having established that, that we are sinners, that we are lepers. Let, let's go through this uh, in chapters 13 and 14 and, and get some, some lessons for ourselves. Now, chapter 13, verse 6, okay, the priest will look on him the seventh day to see if the plague has spread in his skin. And if it hasn't, he will pronounce him clean. The seventh day. Well, it's tempting to see the seventh day as the day when the Lord Jesus returns. Why do I say that? Because a day with the Lord is as a thousand years. And around our time now, 2010, the earth has been going for, I mean, Creation has been going as revealed in the Bible, let's put it that way, uh, for, for 6,000 years. And the millennium, the thousand year reign of Christ on earth that will begin God's kingdom, we can see that as the seventh day. 
And that's, to me, the, the most exciting thing about living at the time that we're living now. But it really seems to me that Jesus must return around now, around 6,000 years from the, the Genesis creation. Or the, you know what I'm saying, I'm not trying to say the earth is only 6,000 years old, but uh, you, you know what I mean, from biblical history, let's put it that way, that would be a better way to put it. Um, <clears throat> so it, it seems to me that Jesus surely must return, I certainly hope he does, in our generation, around this time. So then the seventh day is the day of the millennium, the thousand years. And it's on that seventh day that the priest will come and look at us and see if that scab or that mark in us, what appears to be leprosy, whether it has spread throughout our skin or not. I think that idea of Jesus coming back, his return being the, the day when we are inspected, as it were, by the priest on the seventh day, I think that's picked up in First Peter 2 verse 12, where we, we read about the second coming of Jesus as the day of visitation, but Apparently the Greek word really means inspection. The day of looking, the day of inspection, that will be the day when Jesus comes back. And again, I suggest that that is a straight-out allusion back here to Leviticus, that the priest will come and inspect and visit and look upon the people on the seventh day. And what will be crucial is whether we only have an appearance of leprosy or whether this has taken a grip in our lives. And only Jesus knows that. <clears throat> only the priest can judge that. And about 18 times in Leviticus 13 and 14, we read this word spread, that has the, the uh, leprosy, has the appearance of it spread. Now, I don't mean to say that, well, the bottom line is, guys, that if we're sinning, well, don't sin anymore, just don't let it spread, you know. Uh, if you commit adultery, well, don't do it with anybody else. Um, if you're an alcoholic, well, don't, uh, don't get in the drugs. No, uh, that, that would not be the right reading of this. And it's, uh, you know, this is a metaphor, this is a, a type, a symbol, you, you can't push it that, that precisely. But I think the idea is that there is a downward spiral with sin. Once you start sinning, it's like if you start lying. You, you, you go on. You, you can stop. And there's also an upward spiral. You could say, if you like, that the upward spiral is the work of the Spirit of God, and the, the downward spiral is almost an evil spirit from the Lord, as happened in the life of Saul. So then, the question is, in our lives, have we got into this downward spiral, or are we in the upward spiral? And there is no halfway position. That's why we can never take a break we, in the spiritual battle. We can never say, yeah, well, today I'm on holiday. Well, I'm going to run holiday for a week. Um, yeah, I won't do anything bad, and I won't do anything uh, sort of too good either. Um, I'm just having a break from this religion stuff, from my relationship with God. You can't do that. 24-7, we are either on the upward spiral or the downward spiral. And this is what gives life some kind of oomph to it, some, some, something to live for, something to fight for. Because 24-7, we are involved in this in these, these sort of two vortexes, if you like, that are pushing someone either down or, or up. And the bottom line will be when the Lord comes and, and looks upon our lives on the seventh day, have we been in that downward spiral or not? Has it spread? Not only in our own lives, but to others. Because all this legislation here about the, uh, the leper having to be locked up, shut up, and, and then put out the camp, etc., and destroying his clothes and, and this. This was all to stop it spreading to other people. This was sort of quarantine. And it seems to me that almost the definition of sin, or the sin that God so hates, is when we influence others to sin. When we, if you like, infect others. Now, I'm not saying that there's any such thing as guilt by association. There isn't. But there is such a thing as following a multitude to do evil. There is such a thing as us, by our example, influencing others for good or for evil. And Jesus talks very toughly about those that make the little children stumble. He says that if we do that, then we shall share Babylon's judgment. We shall have a millstone put around our neck and be chucked into the sea. Uh, the very language used about Babylon's destruction. 
That's how seriously God sees the sin of making others stumble on their path to God's kingdom. We should be hypersensitive, hypersensitive about how we treat others, how we talk to others. We should never exclude any of God's people. We should be sensitive and always thinking, well, if I do this, or if we do that, or if we say that, or if we write that, or whatever, how is that going to affect that person? Is that going to stumble them on their path to God's kingdom? You know, we should really be putting a lot of thought and sensitivity into how we react to others. And when we fail, because we all do in this, you know, the, the tongue is a deadly evil. We have to have the humility to go back to that guy or that brother, sister, whoever, and say, look, I'm sorry for that. Uh, and uh, please forgive me, and I, I said the wrong thing to you there, and uh, I'm sorry. It's so important that we can do that. Now, verse 6. Again, 13, verse 6. It's possible, he says, that it is but a scam. There might have been an outbreak of leprosy, but it cured over and it was just a scam. There are people who have sinned, and the result of that sin is still with them. There is an appearance, if you like, that they are leprous, when actually they are not. And we should uh, bear that in mind. Verse 11, there's also a case where an old leprosy in the skin of his flesh may, may break out again. So... Sin can come back. People can conquer one thing, but then it comes back, unfortunately. Then in 13, verse 13, there is what at first sight seems very strange. That if the leprosy have covered all his flesh, he shall pronounce him clean that has the plague. It is all turned white. He is clean. says it twice. If his whole body is white with the plague, he's clean. Now, how does that work out? Well, I think to see a body that's white um, would remind people of dead bodies, because that's what happens to a dead body, to a corpse. That it goes, I wouldn't say, you know, snow white, but corpses tend to, to go a white colour. And so, when the person appears totally dead, they're clean. Now, that paradox, I think, is talking really about the mystery of baptism, whereby we say that, when we're baptised, that I die. I die to the old life. I know that I'm a leper, and that I'm a sinner, and that I deserve to die. So, I'm going to die. And we go under that water, and we come up out of that water, in the power of the Lord's resurrection. And so, if we recognize that we have sinned and that I should die, my whole structure of my being, not physically I mean, but my life is sinful and I should die, then actually that is when we can be pronounced clean. But, verse 14, whenever raw flesh appears in him, he shall be unclean. It's the raw flesh that's the problem. Not the person who suffered for their sins and uh, is, as it were, white and has died to them and that's the end of it. We need to die to sin. Baptism, in that sense, is an ongoing symbol. Of course, we do it one-off when we get baptized, but uh, the idea of dying to sin, this is when Paul talks in Romans 6 about baptism, he doesn't say, okay, guys, i explain you about baptism. He's saying to them, You've already been baptized. Now, therefore, you should be dead to sin. And on that basis, you are clean. That we should, in an ongoing sense, recognize that I am a sinner, and I recognize I should die, and I have died with Christ. And it's that which will keep us humble. It's that which will keep our feet on the ground. And unfortunately, this lack of recognition of human sinfulness, and the the, the seriousness of sin, that sin really does bring death. The wages of sin is death. It's a lack of appreciation of that which stops people from going on to appreciate the wonder of the fact that the grace or the gift of God is eternal life. 
that we have died and been resurrected. And the, the life, as Paul says in Corinthians, the life of the risen Lord breaks forth in our mortal flesh right now. But you won't get to that feeling, to that experience, to that realization, unless you recognize that your sins are serious. That that slight exaggeration, that thoughtlessness, those sins of omission, that you couldn't be bothered with that sister, that you couldn't be bothered with that guy. But those things are serious to God. Very serious. Now, when we look at people, we inevitably have this human way of noticing their sin. We, we, it's just a human tendency and ability to look very clearly, you know, to perceive very clearly the sin of somebody else, particularly their appearance. And the, this whole section of scripture is telling us that yes, there are people who will look as if they're leprous, but they are not. You know, we, we've read through all this, that um, somebody may, may have scalded themselves with hot water, and that it looks like that, that's uh, leprosy, but it's not. It's a scalding from hot water. Um, 13 verse uh, 28, people can have a bright spot appear on them like a mole, but if it doesn't spread, there's nothing uh, the matter with that. People can have scars in their lives, on their bodies, uh, because of certain things that have happened that may or may not have been their fault. But that's not leprosy. And there's a big theme all the way through here. Now bear that in mind as you look at people and you think, well, I'm sure that, that uh, he smokes or, or, or that she, uh, I, I'm sure that she, she drinks sometimes. Or whatever it might be. Whatever it might be. Yeah. It's not for us to judge in the sense of saying, and therefore, buddy, you can get out of the camp. And it's also for us to realize that somebody may appear sinful. I mean, leprous, let's say. When actually they are not. But we cannot judge that. All we can take away with us is the lesson that some people will appear to be leprous when in fact they are not. And this is very much emphasized throughout these chapters. 13 verse 43, somebody in their bald forehead may have as the appearance of leprosy. It might appear that way. But what are we to do with the clothes of the leprous people? Verse 47 and onwards of chapter 13 talks about that. <clears throat> well, there's an allusion to that in Jude 23, where we're told we are to hate even the garment spotted by the flesh. And that is very clearly an allusion to the leprous garment. He's saying that we can, we can, be defiled, and we can pick up the disease by dealing with the, the leprous person's clothes. That's what Jude is saying. He's saying that in our ministry to other people, we should try to pull people out of the fire, but also, whilst we're doing that, hate the garment spotted by the flesh. Now, as I have said, there is no such thing as guilt by association. If I break bread with you and you're a sinner, well, that sin counts to me. This is nonsense. This is not in the Bible. They're absolutely nowhere. In fact, the Bible is, teaches the very opposite. That the, uh, the individual dies for their own sin and not for anybody else's. And in the letters that Jesus wrote to the Ecclesias there in Revelation 2 and 3, they were full of false teaching, misbehavior, fornication, etc., he commends the faithful who are within those ecclesias. He doesn't say, what are you doing in that church? Why don't you get out? No, he doesn't say that at all. He commends them. Quite the opposite. But, on the other hand, as uh, Paul says, if we have the wrong connection, the, the bad company, corrupts good hearts. If we, if we mix with the wrong people, and we uncritically mix with them, we will be influenced by them. And so there is this element of separation, not, I think, physically, not saying, well, I'm not mixing with you, I'm not talking to you anymore, this is, you know, 
five-year-old immature logic. Um, no, but there is such a thing as I have said in following a multitude to do evil. There is such a thing as bad company corrupting good habits. And you do have to choose your friends. You tell your kids that, you know, choose your friends. Um, then just be friends with anybody. And this can even be so within those who are within the body of Christ, I'm afraid to say. But it is so. It's not that we judge them or think we're better than them. Not at all. But if we see clearly wrong behavior, it's not that we somehow won't physically have anything to do with these people. I mean, Jesus touched the lepers. Um, but there is such a thing as not allowing ourselves to be sucked into that downward spiral, whereby the, sin, the tendency to sin that we have will, will spread. In verse 51 of chapter 13, he talks about, in the AV, a fretting leprosy. And I looked up this Hebrew word translated fretting, and it's the word mar related to the word mara, bitter. And literally it could be the plague is a, a leprosy of bitterness. And again, Hebrews 12, 15, this epistle written to Jewish people, full of allusion to uh, this kind of thing, he says, be careful that you do not have a root or a cause of bitterness. Now, he's interpreting the leprosy that frets, that, uh, that is bitter, he's interpreting that as a root of bitterness, a cause of bitterness. And I've seen so many fine brothers and sisters in Christ basically lose their faith, or suddenly lose spirituality, because of allowing a root of bitterness. It's terribly easy to do. I struggle with it myself. To not allow something to become a root or a cause of bitterness, because bitterness spreads. It really does. Just like this skin disease or this disease that we're reading about here in, in Leviticus spread. And the only way to destroy it, I'm afraid, in verse 52, was to burn it in the fire. Now, we don't believe in a, a literal hell fire, but Gehenna, the, the rubbish tip outside Jerusalem where the fire was always burning, this is clearly used by the Lord as, as a symbol of the destruction of of sin. So don't get bitter. Don't get bitter and don't allow others' bitterness to influence you. Think about the wonder of the fact that we have been saved. As we read in, then in chapter 14 that there were two birds killed, weren't there? One of them, sorry, there were two birds in the atonement ritual for leprosy. One of them was killed and the other one was let go. Now, I, Cindy and I have just come here from, uh, from Maxima uh, supermarket, and uh, you know, as you go into Maxima, there's a, um, there's a pet shop. And we wanted to buy a pigeon, but you can't buy pigeons. Um, oh, that's such idea. To, to bring a pigeon, you know, let it go, so you can all see it flying away. Because the symbolism of it was freedom. But now you are free, free as a bird, flying off into freedom. Not, you know, free from the pet shop, free from that little cage they keep them in, and you're flying off free. Well, I'm sorry, uh, it didn't work out, out to actually get one. You, you can buy pigeons. Um, but uh, I had a, I, we have a thought anyway. But um, my point is that we are free. We are free in Christ. Don't let all that bitterness of he did this and they did that and she did that and uh, they're planning to do this and they said that and they wrote that about this on the internet or whatever. This is all a root of bitterness. Get beyond it. Be free from that and have nothing to do with it absolutely have nothing to do with that. Hate the garment spotted by the flesh. Just let that stuff be where it is. We are free in Christ. Pay no attention to, to those people. And believe me, I have to tell myself this many, many times. So this ritual of cleansing the leper, chapter 14 now, verse 6, they had to uh, kill the bird over the running or the living water and sprinkle uh, upon the, the cleansed person. He had to wash his clothes and wash himself in this living water. Now, this phrase is picked up again in the New Testament. It's in John 7, verse 38, where we're told that if we truly believe in Jesus 
out of our innermost being, there will come rivers of living water. Living water, I mean, to, to the Hebrew mind, this would have taken them straight back to the ritual of cleansing the leper. So we are given living water. But well, what do you do with it? You use it in the cleansing of leprosy. And it's a, an amazing idea that we can play our part, let's say, in the, in the cleansing of others. That we can, because we're in Christ, we can, in one sense, play the role of, of the Lord Jesus. Because everything that's true of him is true of us. He's the seed of Abraham, so are we. He's the light of the world, you are the light of the world. He was the one, is the one who can cleanse. He has given us that living water from our innermost beings to be able to bring cleansing to others. And of course, in a sense, it talks about baptism. And if you can persuade somebody, at least one person in the course of your life, to be baptized, to, to take that washing and cleansing, that's a wonderful thing. And if only we, we would all do that, our community would spread and the, the, the gospel would, would spread like it did in the first century. There's a particular emphasis in chapter 14, verse 22, that the leper must uh, make these offerings, but he can offer such as he is able to get. Such as he is able to get. Uh, and also in verse uh, 31, even such as he is able to get. He should offer for a sin offering and a burnt offering. So, a leper would have been very poor. He'd have had nothing. He'd have been outside the camp, etc. He was to offer whatever he could. And if he couldn't manage even a, a young pigeon, then whatever, just something. And I think that's significant. That whatever limitations we feel in life, does not exclude us from serving God. You remember the one-talent man, he... He hid his talent in the earth and didn't do anything with it. And when the Lord comes back, he'll say to the one-talent man, why didn't you put my money into the bank? Now, of course, a Jew was not supposed to lend money uh, on interest to his fellow Jew. The law said they shouldn't do that. But Jesus is saying, look, you should have done at least something, even if it wasn't the best. And really, that's the, the message for us, because we can feel so terribly limited. Well, who am I? What can I do? Yes, we can do something. Something. At least something. We can sacrifice and offer at, at least something. And so when the leper is cleansed, the priest, 25, takes some of the blood, puts it upon the tip of his ear, upon the thumb of his right hand, upon the great toe of his right foot. Wherever he walked, whatever he did, whatever he listened, was through the filter of the blood. Knowing that I have been redeemed. Now, when we take the bread and wine, we take the symbol of the the blood of Jesus. And we have been cleansed. See, in one sense, Jesus is coming back on the seventh day to inspect us, a day of inspection, a day of visitation. But in another sense, that has all already happened. He has looked upon us, and we have been declared clean. We have been declared righteous in Christ. And in, in one sense, all that has happened. And in one sense, we have been now redeemed. The sacrifice has been made. And we've been set free. Because of his blood, like the bird that flew off through. Now that, that freedom, let no man take that freedom from it. No set of religion, no set of rules, no set of no constitution, no nothing. We are free in Christ. And we have been redeemed. You know, yesterday I was going through the cemetery on the Hermania uh, Street. And I just had this very strong impression that came upon me. That I have been saved. I know I can fall away tomorrow, but if, you know, the Lord comes now. I know that I shall die and go to the place of, of all living, which is to the grave. But I will live again. And I just said in the most simplest terms, thank you, Jesus, that you have saved me. I am redeemed. And I am therefore free in Christ. Now, I've known that theory for so much of my life. For 25 years I have preached that. More than 25 years. But anyway, I have, for many years, since my baptism, 28 years ago or whatever, I have preached that to people. 
but it's only now I think that I'm getting the point that I am redeemed. I am saved. I'm saved from destruction. I am free. Now, I know, on the other hand, we are waiting for the Lord to come. We are waiting for the day of visitation. And we are struggling not to let our sinful situation, let's say, to spread, to, to go, go further. To not get into that downward spiral. Now, it's the same when you come on later on in chapter 14 to read about the house being inspected. It's very similar to how Jesus says that the day is coming on God's temple when not one stone shall be left upon another, but it shall all be thrown down. Fulfilled in a very strange way, apparently, that the, the gold of the temple melted because of the fires that uh, the, the Roman legions uh, set up around the temple. And so the, the gold all melted uh, between the stones. And so literally, though, to get the gold afterwards, the, the Romans literally pulled every stone apart. Anyway, point is, the leprous house that was pulled down and thrown to an unclean place, in a sense applied to the temple of God. Um, we read in Mark 11, verse 11, that Jesus once walked into the temple and looked around and inspected it and walked out again. And I think when he does that, again, this is alluding to the priest, coming to the, to the leprous house, looking at it, inspecting it, and making a decision. And the Lord's decision was this is a leprous house and it must be pulled down, and that is exactly what, what happened. And yet, you know, it, what I'm trying to say is that in, in one sense, the, um, the inspection of leprosy, the pronouncing clean or unclean, happens in this life. It happened for Israel in the first century. They were pronounced and their house was pronounced unclean. For us in Christ, we have been pronounced clean. And yet we are also waiting for that wonderful day when the Lord will be back and we shall ultimately be, be saved. Just imagine that he will come back and look at us. That he will look at you and look at me. It will be the day of visitation, the day of inspection, 1 Peter 2.12. He will look at us and pronounce us clean. The joy of fellowship with each other. I mean, the joyful thing for the leopard, of course, was to have fellowship with, with people again. To be touched again by people and to be able to touch people. And to realize that all that uncleanness is now gone. And that he is free as that bird that was set free over the, the blood of the, of the bird that was slain. Over the living water. It's going to be a wonderful thing. Because we long for fellowship. We long for the day when at last what we have now will be revealed for just so very little. For when we'll realize that for the best of our fellowship with each other, it's one of the uh, being faithful in that which is least, Jesus says, about all that we have in this life. These are very small things. And finally, at last, we shall enter into meaningful fellowship, more meaningful fellowship, I mean, with each other and with the Lord himself. And we shall be looked upon by our priest and he'll say, you're clean, enter into the joy of your Lord, and we shall look at him. And I really think that in all our strivings against ourselves, against our own dysfunction, against our own background, our own weakness, our own flesh, it absolutely has to be worth it, doesn't it? Thank you.